My husband Jim and I have been married for over a year now. And ever since right after we first got married and got home from the honeymoon, we haven't been able to talk with each other about our problems. If I bring up something that's really been bothering me, uh, he seems to get mad and angry and walks out and slams the door, and we never have a chance to really talk it out. We really love each other, and it's not because we don't love each other, but we just can't seem to get our problems solved. It doesn't sound like you have a very smooth running home. We sure don't. We are going to the wonderful book, the Bible, which contains special secrets for a happy home and the communication that may exist between husband and wife in solving problems. But first shall we just seek counsel from the Lord. Dear Father in heaven, we present to you your promise of James 1.5 for wisdom. And we thank you now that you're supplying this wisdom so that this home may be able to operate efficiently, beautifully, and smoothly. We believe and claim your promise in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Barbara, there are seven special secrets, Bible secrets, of family communication, of uh, communication between husband and wife. And uh, there are other uh, Bible principles also. My wife and I have found 45 laws in the Bible applicable to marriage. Uh, we will only share with you perhaps, oh, first perhaps seven, and then a few others to fill in to round out the solution to your problem. Uh, I'm thinking of a, of a motor, of an engine, an automobile engine. Okay. And uh, three special features among many others for a smooth running motor. One has to do with the fuel supply. Another has to do with the ignition. And another has to do with the compression. Now there are three, three series of secrets, just like we've just mentioned, three phases of the, of the motor, if we are to find it running smoothly. The first is the fuel supply. The first two secrets to the happy marriage are Jesus and joy. We're thinking of the life of Jesus as being the fuel for the life of the home, the life of each of the, the parties. And as the life of Jesus flows into your life and out from your life into your spouse's life, we think of that as the fuel going through the line, and we call it joy. So Jesus and joy are the first two of the seven secrets of a smooth running home. A home can never run smoothly under all circumstances except that as Jesus is the head. The Bible says, except the Lord build a house, they, they labor in vain that build it. Right now we're laboring in vain then. I believe you're right. So the first thing in the morning, you'll want to take time with the Lord. Personal worship and worship between the two of you, which we call family worship. And that is a sacred time, an essential time, to drink in of the life of Jesus Christ. Unless we are fueled 
with the life of Jesus Christ, just like a motor cannot run without the fuel. So the home cannot operate smoothly without the life of Jesus Christ. Now, when his life does fill our lives, then joy is the result. Psalm 1611 says, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. I'm sure that's why you came to see me. You'd like, you'd like a degree of joy in your home. I'd like, yes, much more. Sometimes we have joy, but it just seems like it's just a very passing thing right now. Right. And it doesn't mean that, that in learning these seven secrets that you will always have joy because we can get our eyes off of Christ and then the joy can temporarily leave. But as we learn these seven secrets and apply them through the aid of the Holy Spirit, this joy will increase more and more. So Jesus and joy are two of the special secrets or principles or laws of family communication. The, the next has to do with the ignition. <laughs> okay, now don't get too technical. I'm not a mechanic. Well, I'm not either. And I've wondered if I should even mention it because I was afraid that maybe some mechanic might be listening and he'd say, well, preacher, you better stick by your preaching. But anyhow, we do know that ignition is necessary. That has to do with the spark, you see, and the timing. If you have no spark, the, the fuel cannot ignite and there's no pressure to carry the motor and the motor to carry the car. So though neither of us are mechanics, uh, we can at least delve a little way into it, presumably, and uh, craving the patience of any mechanic. Uh, the, the ignition, the spark and the timing, we use two Bible principles for this, choice and humility. In other words, if the motor is out of timing, that has to do with choice. That is, if we present problems at the wrong time, it's out of time. <laughs> There's a very special time to present problems, and very few married couples know anything about it. But I recently took my car to three different mechanics. None of them was able to solve the problem. And finally, the fourth mechanic said, the trouble is your timing. And when he straightened up this timing, the thing ran smoothly. So perhaps that's one reason why it's impressing my mind as it is. So for us to pose a problem out of time means that the home motor will not run smoothly. And the law of humility has to do with the manner of posing the problem. So choice and humility we call the laws of human ease. For the home to, to run along smoothly and easily, we must learn the law of choice, how to pose a problem at the right time, and the law of humility, the manner in which to present the problem. Now, coming to the compression of the motor, I'm thinking of the pistons as having three rings each. I don't even know how many rings there are in a piston, but we'll just assume there are three rings each because then it'll conform to the three final principles or secrets of marriage harmony. And they are faith, hope, and love, found in 1 Corinthians 13, the last verse. Uh, someone says, uh, you say that it's compression. Compression is, has to do with pressure. Do you mean the home should have any pressures? Yes. You cannot even operate a, a, a car unless the motor has some pressure. So there is a proper kind of pressure. The trouble with most of us Christians is we've used the wrong kind of pressure. 
the right kind of pressure is brought to view in 1 Corinthians 13, the last verse, faith, hope, and love. Faith has a tremendous pressure to say, I believe in you. I believe in your sincerity. That is, that is loved, and people love to live up to this pressure of spoken faith. And love is another pressure. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. So there's a pressure in love. And when our spouses see that we have faith in them, and we're interested in them instead of our own selfish interests, it gives them hope. Now, perhaps we ought to go back into these seven secrets and develop them just a little more. Jesus and joy really allure your mate. In Hosea, the second chapter, in the 14th verse, there was a prophet by the name of Hosea, and he had a wife who was not on speaking terms with him. And so he said, I will go to see her, and I will allure her. Starting all over again. <laughs> Starting all over again. Courtship renewed. I will allure her. In many homes, we get discouraged. We say, what's the use? <laughs> I've tried, I've failed, and what's the use of trying anymore? All right, you'll start again an alluring program. You'll ask the Christ in you to start alluring your husband, Jim. And as you do it, you'll ask Jesus to fill you with joy. When he sees a joy written on your face, even though you discuss a problem, this joy tells him, oh, there's hope. Evidently, she has some solutions because I never see her smiling unless, unless she feels there's some solution. That's right? true. That's so the very smile of Jesus on the face uh, gives him hope, and it allures him. Then, choice and humility mean this. Most families will pose a problem at any time. Their mate may be absorbed completely in a problem, and they can't possibly negotiate another problem completely foreign to the one that they're trying to negotiate. So when the second problem is posed, they go into a special mind spin. For instance, uh, my wife and I were traveling across the continent with a young minister and his wife. They were in the front seat and we're in the back seat and they were, this was many years ago, we were passing through the city of Denver, Colorado. And at that time they didn't have the freeways and the interstates. So we had to fight traffic. It was real traffic, heavy traffic. And my friend, the minister who was driving, I could see that he was bending all of his energies to negotiate this traffic. And his wife was just like an angel. And she didn't stop to realize that his mind was completely absorbed with the traffic. And she posed a problem that was completely foreign to what he was trying to negotiate. And as she posed it with her sweet voice, this was the response she got from him. <clears throat> and I saw a look on her face of disappointment. A shade, shadow came over her countenance. And I said to myself, she must be saying, well, We've got two coons in the back seat, and I've got a dog in the front seat. <laughs> what she didn't understand was that she should not pose this problem while his mind was absorbed on this heavy traffic. And, and I, have, I have been guilty of the same thing. I've been writing along with ministers as I've conducted series on the ABCs of prayer. And the minister was driving. I knew all about this law of choice, waiting until the mind was at ease. And I forgot it completely because there was nothing on my mind, 
And he was fighting traffic, and I posed a problem, and I noticed while he didn't growl at me, I noticed that, that he was frustrated. So choice means, for one thing, and this is only one phase, choice means never to pose a problem to our mate while his mind is absorbed on another problem. Rather choose a time when both can sit down, a time that has been agreed upon by both. When he can bring in his mind from the problems, and you can bring in your mind from the problems, then you're sitting down, and he can bend his whole energies, and you can bend your energies on the problem at hand. That's choice. Now that has to do with the timing, <laughs> the timing of posing the problem. Humility has to do with the manner of posing the problem. When you do sit down, say maybe it's in the morning right after you've worshipped, because the Bible says there's a time for everything under the sun, and it actually presents a sitting down time of making decisions. This is one of the 45 Bible laws, but not one of the seven. In Luke 14, 28 to 30, it says, a man won't even contemplate building a tower, but he will sit down first. So. The mind is at rest as you sit down, drawing in the mind from the other problems. The best time is in the morning. Now, as you present this problem, the manner in which it will be presented is very important. That has to do with that law of humility. You may say something like this. Uh, we have a problem. Now, if you started going into orbit around the problem and telling him how unthoughtful he is, and how neglectful he is, that wouldn't be a humble way of presenting it. It would belittle him and would fill his, his, his mind and his heart with negative emotions. She's belittling me and expects me to think and expect me to cooperate in solving. She's already belittled me. So the timing has to do, and the spark, the ignition has to do with the time that we pose the problem and the manner. Does that take a little bit of practicing, Pastor Kuhn? You're right. I'll tell you how much it takes. The Bible tells us. It says in Psalm, and so don't get discouraged. The first Psalm, the first three verses says, in God's law, we meditate day and night. Then whatever we do will prosper. In other words, these seven secrets of family communication, it means that a person will have to study them just like you'd study your nurse's course lessons. Uh, a little bird told me that you've pulled down straight A's all through school and getting your RN. <laughs> and that's good, which shows that you have the ability to concentrate and to think clearly. Now, as you study on the seven secrets as you did in your college course, God says, whatever you do will prosper. It will. It will require a great deal of concentration, much prayer, claiming God's promise for wisdom and guidance. But the reward is tremendous. In Deuteronomy, by the way, the 11th chapter, verses 18 to 21, it says, if we will actually study and capture these secrets, these laws of our existence, it says we'll have days of heaven upon the earth. <laughs> Just a little heaven right now would be real nice, Pastor Coon. <laughs> okay. Just a little. Well, praise the Lord. You're going to have it. You really are. I, can, I, I believe it with all my heart. So we've covered now the first two, Jesus and joy, which are laws of allurement asking Jesus to fill us with joy. Why to fill us with joy? Because we can claim his promise for wisdom, and he said you may ask and receive, and your joy will be full, John 16, 24. So as we, as we approach a problem, 
and we pose this problem, we can know that the Lord has said if we ask him to help us, we will receive and our joy will be full. So we have a right to ask him, we have a right to believe, and we have a right to say, Lord, I'm returning thanks because I've learned that every promise in the Bible contains the solution that it promises. So I can smile even before I see the full solution uh, presenting itself. Jesus had joy, strong allurement laws. Choice and humility are laws of human ease. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, if you come to me, we're sort of paraphrasing it, if you choose to come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, that must represent. Right now, that represents us. Right. He said, I'll give you rest if you learn of my meekness. So if we choose to come to him, and if we comply with the law of choice, and we comply with the law of humility, he said, it'll give us rest. So we, we term these two laws the laws of human ease. The husband will feel at ease because as you pose the problem, you're not going to orbit around the problem, which would generate negative emotion. You're saying the problem, you merely identify it. The problem is so-and-so. And then you will have already asked the Lord to give you a possible solution. But as you present this solution to him, you'll remember that the law of humility is very important. You've chosen the right time now when his mind is not occupied. Now you want the right manner of presenting it, the, ma the humble manner. So you say, I, I have a possible solution. It may not be as good a solution as you would think of. This sets his mind at ease immediately, you see. Oh, she doesn't claim to know it all. She's neither belittling me, neither is she acting like she knew everything. Uh, I have a possible solution. It, there may be a better one that you'll think of. But what would you think of this as one possible solution? He feels at ease now because his mind has been pulled in from what had obsessed his mind before, and because as you broach the subject, you have not belittled him. You've merely identified it so, you know, so he knows what you're talking about. Having identified it, you take a very humble stance. It's a possible solution. You might have a better one. Now then he may come back with this. Uh, how about this as a solution? Now you remember that these two laws are operating, choice and humility, so now you're giving him a little choice, and you're humbly listening to it. You aren't saying, oh, no, that won't work. We say, well, that is something to think about. Why don't we pray about that? Then you might possibly have thought, before you communicated with him, you might have thought of a second solution. And you say, well, here's another one, too, we might give study to. And I don't know whether this is as good as the first. There's your humility again, you see, which sets him at ease. And you pose the second suggestion. He may come back with, uh, <clears throat> well, what's wrong with my suggestion? <laughs> if he hasn't studied the seven secrets, you see. Well, he won't have because I'm going to start this as soon as I can. <laughs> well, good for you. So he may say, well, what was wrong with my solution? You say, well, I'm not sure but what that may be perfect. Would it be all right, you might say to him, if we prayed about this and I would kind of study it and we'd study all of these suggestions that we've made together? And then you might say this, uh, I went to see a, a minister about how I could improve, you see. That again doesn't belittle him. And the minister presented to me the thought that maybe it would be well for us to spend uh, a day in studying each other's possible solutions. And then tomorrow, 
or next day when we have the opportunity again to take up these possible solutions. And uh, is that all right with you? And he said, well, yes, that's, that's all right. All right, then you go about your day's work. Maybe the next morning you're studying and you found that, that a combination of his solution and one of your solutions might be better than either one. And you might say, what would you think of this? And he would say, well, that sounds good. Yes, or you might say, well, I'm not so sure. Well, should we do as what the minister suggested? Maybe study over another day? No great urgent need because some of these problems are those that you've had for years. <laughs> so, yeah. it, we, if we don't solve them in a day, that's not going to make any difference. It's just if we solve them. Thank the Lord. So now there we have Jesus and joy, which means we approach the subject with joy on the basis of the promise of God that he will answer our prayers and give us solutions. Choice and humility means that we will not pose this problem through the day when our spouse's mind is on something else. We'll agree on a time when both minds will be at ease. That has to do with the timing. When we do present it, we'll present it not as though we had all the answers. After identifying it, we will say, there may be a, a better solution than I have. This sets him further at ease. Now then, there are three more secrets to this communication. They're found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and the last verse. Now abideth faith, hope, and love. As you discuss the problem, a little expression of confidence in him will mean very much. Something like this. Jim, you know, I've noticed that you have good judgment. This, this is the compression of the motor. It's a pressure on him, but it's a pressure that he likes. The motor cannot operate without compression. It cannot operate without pressure, but the right kind of pressure. So the home cannot operate either without pressure, but it must be the right kind of pressure. Jim, I found that you have excellent judgment on more, more occasions than one. That's faith, you see. And that, that actually applies a pressure to him to, uh, to cooperate in the discussion of a solution. But it's a pressure that he likes. And when you do speak a word of faith and confidence, it must always be sincere. It must never be flattery. For the Holy Spirit cannot bless anything less sincere. And I'm sure that there are things about him that you really believe are sincere, right? Yes, there's some, I'm sure. He's made some real good decisions. That's, that's true. I, I married him. That was a good decision he made, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> well, and I thought I married him for good reasons, too. Right, right. Very good. So you'll drop a little expression of faith, of confidence, a sincere expression, and this will throw an atmosphere around that discussion of solutions that is almost undescribable. Then, faith, hope, and love. Love means unselfish love. As you're discussing this, this problem, really the solution to the problem, for you don't discuss the problem. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, whatever we look at, we gradually become like. So we don't discuss the problem, we identify it. We discuss solutions. Now as you're discussing the solution, you're praying to the Lord to help you to think of his interest. That's love. And this will come through to him. Do you know? She is thinking of my happiness instead of her own. Instead of whining and saying, why don't you love me? You're presenting this in the atmosphere of, atmosphere of faith and his interest. Now, if he were sitting here, we would suggest the same to him, you see. And when he learns this, he would be thinking of your interest. Now, when each of you is, is in turn thinking of the other's interest, 
It's like a V8 motor. <laughs> you're putting the seven secrets into effect on your side of the house. He's putting the seven secrets into effect. The Lord is through you and him. And there's a smooth running uh, home. Now that's faith and that is love. Now it's faith, hope, and love. Faith is the victory law, by the way. First John 5, 4 says, this is the victory that overcometh the world. This world of trouble can over be overcome as we speak the little word of faith and confidence in him. Love is really the success law. <clears throat> Pardon me, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, love never fails. When he sees that you're definitely interested in his happiness, oh, that applies a tremendous pressure to him that he likes. My, she's interested in me. Well, I am, no doubt about that. <laughs> I believe it too. So then, the combination of faith and love builds hope. Romans 8, 24, and it says we're saved by hope. When, when hope enters his heart and he says, why, my wife is joyful. She has not imposed this problem during the daytime when my mind was on other things. She's thoughtful of me. She's expressed confidence in me. She's taking interest in me. You can see that that's compression of the motor. <laughs> that's a pressure. And it's a sincere pressure. And he said, listen, I'll do anything to cooperate with her. Now, he may not say it the first day. <laughs> he may not say it the first week. But the tendency is in that direction. And then with that, we claim a Bible promise. And this is Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. It says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, the Lord turns it whithersoever he will. The Lord will turn his mind and yours together in a perfect harmony. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, you've said it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We believe that you are solving the problem of Barbara and Jim. We believe, dear Lord, as they look to you and learn and meditate on these sacred secrets of marital harmony, that they shall have days of heaven upon the earth. And we thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.